thank you, Michael. And um, it is a blessing to be here and to be with you guys and to see um, all of you doing so well. And um, a little update on us. We are doing well as well with another little one on the way in December. And so, yeah, thank you. We're, we're really looking forward to that, but it is definitely a blessing to be here with you this morning and to, be, um, to have the privilege to bring God's word to you. And I, I just think back to one of the songs that we sang, and all of them were, um, were um, great, but some of the words, I'm confident when seasons change, your faithfulness remains, and such a, um, such a steadfast truth to us this morning when seasons change, and for these seniors that are, their seasons are changing, and for the church as seasons change, and for our personal lives as our seasons change, the Lord's faithfulness never wavers, and it stays true no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens, no matter what we do, it always remains the same and always remains perfect. And so that's something that we can be confident in this morning and for the rest of our lives. And that's actually, I brought that up because that's very similar to the topic that we will be exploring this morning in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you would please join me in the book of 1 Peter. As I was considering on what to do this morning after being asked to speak, I began to think of all of the things that have been taking place over the past year, the past few months, in both the church, both my life, and everyone's life that is here this morning. As we go through trials and tribulations and hardships that we go through daily, as God has said in his word, I pondered on what passage to speak on, and I decided what better way to get the point across and to, to talk about this Point than to speak from someone's words who lived these trials out and lived them for Christ. So this morning, I'm, um, I confess to you that I'm doing something a little bit different, a lot different, and the work, um, the work of this summer is not entirely my own, but I credit it to another man of Christ who, while he was on earth, also went through many trials and many sufferings, and, has, um, and I've used some of his things for this sermon, and, um, and we'll be learning about this man throughout the sermon today. So if you would please, as you hopefully already are, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Please join me as I read aloud. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Please bow with me as we begin this morning. Lord, we come before you grateful to be in your house, to be under you, to be hearing your word spoken through me, Lord. I pray that you would give me the words to say. Give me clarity of speech, clarity of mind. Give us as a congregation clarity of understanding. And Lord, just help us to love and honor you in all that we do. Lord, as we go through trials and tribulations, help us to understand what we're called to do in your word, who to look for, who to place our trust in, and who to place our faithfulness in. I pray that we would have a great morning, that you would um, just bless this service today. I pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. So our main text this morning will be in verses six through nine, but before we do that, any, um, any good sermon has to start with some context. So if we want to talk about verses, I want to talk this morning about verses one through um, five, just briefly, and give you an understanding of what it's talking about a little bit. And I want you to make note of some of the things in these passages, mainly who God is and what he has for us. So I want you to start, let's start in verse two, and I want you to note a couple things. Verse two and three, we look at the Trinity. We look at the foreknowledge of God the Father, that he knows and he knows the past and plans out our futures. We look at Jer- Jeremiah 1.9, I know the plans that I have for you. We look at the sanctification of the Spirit. He lives within us. He sanctifies us. He grows us. He makes us more like Jesus Christ, who we are to be obedient to at the end of verse 2. So we look at who God is. He is three in one. He is the Trinity. He is all-powerful. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to, that next word, his great mercy. He has been so merciful. He has great mercy to those who are his. He has caused, now I want you to note that word, he has caused, not in our own, we think about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, not in our own will, not in our own ability, but he has caused us to be born again, now get this next part, to a living hope. We have a living hope, not one who's dead, not one who's apart from us, but one who has a personal relationship with those who are his and who have been adopted into his personal family. And we, can, we continue on. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to He doesn't just save us from the depths of our sin and from hell, but he saves us to something else. And that something else is, verse four, he saves us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we think about these verses, and we're setting up for verse 6. And we look at verse 6, and we see, in this you rejoice. We look back. In this, in the things that God has promised us, in this eternal salvation, in this eternal inheritance that God has stored up for those whom he has saved in heaven, that's eternal, it's imperishable, it's everlasting. And so we look to the things above. And he's setting up for the hardest part because then comes the testing of your faith. What are we looking to when we go through trials? What are we looking to when we go through hardships in this life? Whether it be as a church, a family, personal lives, wherever we are, what are we looking to? In the words of this pastor, a deeper faith will help in equipping you for life's challenges. The question of suffering is common, but difficult to answer, especially in a culture that sees trials as purposeless and evil. Matter of fact, suffering causes many to conclude that there is no God. He doesn't care or he is not powerful enough to make a difference. But to the contrary, it is often said if God does, did exist, was powerful, and did care, there wouldn't be any suffering in the world. But as we know, and in this verse is to the contrary, if a God with God existing, there has to be trials, and there has to be hardships in order to test our faith, in order to grow us to be more like him and more conformed in the image of Christ as he has called us to in Ephesians chapter 5 and others. The Bible has this to say about suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The glory that is to come is beyond all that we could possibly imagine. 1 Peter 5, in the same book, chapter, verse 10, 1 Peter 5, 10, but may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. When we go through trials, when we go through hardships, they happen so that God can do these things. He can perfect us. He can establish us. He can strengthen, and he can settle us. He can give us rest. We think back to Job, and we'll, go, we'll look at Job a little bit uh, later, but we think to Job and the hardships and the trials and the things that he went through, things that we could never imagine going through, and to see the faith or the object of who he put his faith in and what he did after those things happened. The Bible says he tore his robe, he fell to the ground, and he praised God. A 17th century Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, says the following, the Lord may bruise us by afflictions, but it is to enrich us. These afflictions work for us a weight of glory. God's rod is like a pencil to draw Christ's image more distinctly to us. We think of an artist 
God uses the discipline. God uses the trials. God uses the suffering to make us beautiful, to make us more like his son so that we can more bring him the fullness of his glory in which he deserves. Affliction is God's flail to thresh off the husks, not to consume the precious grain. Fiery, fiery trials make golden Christians. Not only was this a, was not only was this a theme in many in Christians in the past in many of our church fathers and other people in the past, but this is a theme all throughout the Bible as well. And this is also a theme for us. If we are believers this morning, if you are a believer, you are and you have suffered. And the Bible says that those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecutions. We will suffer, whether that be mocking, whether that be trials of, of loss or trials of, of finances or whatever it might be. We've all experienced it. And we look to other countries and we read the suffering that they go through. And it's far greater than anything we would go through. But we have the same God and we have the same faith and same object of our faith. In John chapter 15, verse 20, it says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. First Peter 2.21, For to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. The God of the universe sent his only begotten son not to live a kingly and throne and royal life, but to come and to serve you and to come and to serve us by dying on the cross for us so that we might believe in him and have everlasting life. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Why do we look at the world today and why do we question, why is this happening? We know why this is happening. We know that sin is in the world. We know that there are flaws. We know that there is only one perfect person to look to, and that is God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we look, when we experience these trials, instead of asking ourselves, why is this happening, and be surprised, we should look to learn and to grow, and to, we know that this is for our good and for the glory of God. And so we look to give him glory in everything that we do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, as I mentioned earlier, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Corinthians, the whole book, of the apostle Paul is affirmed by his suffering. I believe it's in um, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, and you'll have to look later. I, I um, can't remember exactly, but he goes through his sufferings. Paul lists them off, saying, these are all the things that I've been through. But it doesn't matter, because the Christ that I'm doing them for, 
God of the universe, who is eternal, who is everlasting, who has, in these previous verses, promised me eternal life, an inheritance, unfading, imperishable, and everlasting. All else does not matter. John 21, 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus talking to Peter in Jesus's last days on earth, telling him, wherever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want to go, whatever, whenever you want it, it's not gonna happen because it doesn't matter what you want. It's what God the Father has planned and you need to see it as such. Luke 22, verses 31 through 33, Satan wants Peter to have a, he wants to sift Peter in his faith. And um, the Bible says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And how many of us, how many of us have had these trials? How many of us have had these hardships that we go through weekly or daily or minute by minute and we forget to look to the one who has ordained it all and the only one who can also get us through it. Suffering is normal, but the Christian's response to suffering should not be normal. First Thessalonians 4.13 says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. These past few months, the past year, the church has gone through trials. Our family has gone through trials. You personally have gone through trials. But the Lord says, as we grieve, it doesn't say you should not grieve. The Bible says, as you grieve, it should not be as others do with no hope. Because these verses prior to our text this morning, we have hope. We have a living hope that's an everlasting hope, that's an eternal hope that we will get with Christ. And when we look to him, we have nothing to be anxious about. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing bad. We have no reason to complain or to mourn because Christ has ordained it and he has done it all for his glory. An eternal perspective is necessary for a proper view of trials If our hope is in earthly and physical things, suffering will be senseless. But if it is in eternal and spiritual, it will all make sense. Colossians chapter three, verse one through two says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Many times we may get caught up looking at the things of the earth. We may get caught up in looking at the news. We may get caught up looking at our finances. We may get caught up looking at the loss of loved ones. We may get caught up in looking at ourselves, And we forget that it's not about us. It's not about me. And whatever small, little, unimportant things that I go through on earth, 
they trial me and they prepare me for a future eternal kingdom that will be forever and that I can have hope in and that I can trust in because the God of the universe is faithful and unchanging and unwavering in all that he does and he has promised me eternal life if I repent and I believe in him. So this morning, as we, as we get into a couple points, we're gonna discuss what a proper view of trials will look like. And we're gonna do this, and I'd like to do this by answering one question, and this morning I'll have 10 subpoints underneath this, um, this question. And the question this morning is, what is the purpose of trials? Let me say that again. What is the purpose of trials? And we're gonna be going through 10 points and talking a little bit about those points and we have, in t- we have three hours, Michael, is that, is that right? <laughs> just, just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay. So, point number one, trials are meant to prove. Trials are meant to prove. Trial, the word trials in the Greek is the word dokomion, which means testing, trustworthiness, or trial. James chapter one, verses three through four says this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We want to be more like Christ, but we want easy. We want the easy life. We don't want to go through trials. We want to rest. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we see our human nature and we see our flaws. But Christ says, you want to be complete? You want to be like Christ? Trials are necessary. And in our text this morning, in verse 6, this you rejoice, going back to the eternal inheritance that he talks about. Though now for, notice those next two words, it's not forever, it's not eternal, it's not imperishable, a little while. It's just a little while. You might go through trials. And not only just trials, but I want you to look at those words. You might be grieved. Grieving, that's a heavy word. It's a mourning. It's a deep inner um, trial and temptation and mourning and grieving. And you notice that word right there in the middle, if necessary. If necessary. God will deem it necessary if he believes that you are ready. You look at Job, and we look at, if we, if we, maybe let's turn to, to the book of Job. If you would turn, keep your hand in the book of First Peter and turn with me to Job. Just the first couple chapters. And many of you probably know the story of Job as he is one of the wealthiest people in all the East, and he has cattle, and he has kids, and he has a wife, and he has all of these riches. And in one day, God wipes it away. But what does Job not see? You know, we read the Bible, and we, we picture, oh, yeah, Satan and God, they have this conversation, and Satan decides that, or Satan asks God, is there anyone that I can tempt? And God says, what about my servant Job? So notice that. God is the orchestrator. You notice that? God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's preparing. He knows 
Job is ready for this trial. Job is ready for these hardships. And Satan says, and then Satan asks, may I do these things to him? And he puts him through all these things, but we don't get the point. We don't, we don't understand. Job doesn't see this. Job doesn't see the conversation that Satan and God has. He's just like us. Does God call us a servant? And does God call us faithful? And would God recommend us to be tempted in a way so great and know for a fact that we would continue in our faith and our trustworthiness of him? Or would we waver? And would we fall? And would we come to hardships and look to ourselves in those hardships? So trials are meant to prove, and we look to Job in that. We look to runners. Runners trial their legs. They trial and they trial and they trial and they work and they work and they work. How much, how far can my legs push me? How far a lifter pushes their muscles? How far can my muscles go before they give out? A soldier, they trial their gear, their, their weapons, their everything that they have before they go out to battle. They want to make sure that everything's going to be perfectly reliable so that they can count on those things. And if something is not reliable, they get rid of it. And they get new, and they grow those things, and they trial those, thir- those things. Trials prove the trustworthiness of God. The trials that we go through prove who our God is and our, the trustworthiness that we can have in him. Number two, trials are meant to pain. Trials are meant to pain. They're not meant to be easy. They're not meant to, for us to get through them when we want to get through them. They're meant for us to look to Christ to help us through them. Suffering, the, the pain includes suffering, heartache, difficulty, loss, loss of loved ones, loss of, um, of land, loss of um, anything that it might be. These are heartaches. These are trials that God puts us through. They're meant to hurt. They're meant to push us and press us to our limit and to the very limit that God has set before us, but not too far. Because God is faithful to give us what we can handle. And we're going to read a verse in a little while about that. We think about um, uh, examples in the Bible. We think about the disciples and all of the trials that Jesus and God put them through while they were on this earth to test them. We think about the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And, and they, were, they were fearfully um, on the, the sea. And they were fearful for their lives, even though the God of the universe was resting in their, in their boat. Or the other time when God was walking on water. They trust, we need to trust the God who is the Savior. God is the orchestrator of our trials, and Satan is the administrator. God orchestrates all things. He ordains all things, and he allows Satan to carry some of those things out. And the reason as it says in our verses, verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory. We're being tested. Being tested for what? To test the genuineness of 
our faith. We look at the, new, we look at the book of Matthew specifically and, and others, but we look at the miracles that Jesus did. And many of the miracles that Jesus did, if you read some of these miracles, you will notice the reason he did them was not because that he wanted to bring faith necessarily of the people, but some of them were because they had such faith already. They had such great faith. These people who would travel miles and miles, the, 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 the men who brought their friend onto the roof and lowered him down, how much faith do you have to have to know that Jesus is going to save and to heal that man? All you have to do is lay everything you have before him and know that there's nothing that I can do. There was nothing that that man could do on his own. But he knew if I get to Jesus, he's going to do it for me. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We go through trials, we go through hardships, and it's to prove God's glory. It's to show God's glory, and we are made in his image, and we reflect his glory. Just like someone put it once, that it's like the sun and the moon. God is the sun, and we are the moon, and we're reflecting the glory. We have no light in and of ourselves, but we reflect the glory of God and we give it to him. Number three, trials are meant to persuade. Trials are meant to persuade. A trial will involve temptation. It will involve something that we want, or maybe it will involve the opposite, something that we don't want, something that we're trialed and we're persuaded to look not to God, but to look to ourselves. And to look to our own, um, our own abilities and our own finances and our own desires and our me, me, me. But that's not what trials are for. Trials show us who God is and how great God is. And so if we look at this first Peter chapter, the, the passage that we're looking at, you look at this. What an amazing portion of scripture that Peter doesn't just start, hey, rejoice in your trials. Be strong in them. But what does he do first? He shows us who God is, how great and awesome and eternal he is and what he has done for us in saving for us an eternal inheritance in heaven. And then he says, oh, by the way, for this short time while you're on earth, you're going to go through some trials. It's going to be hard. But don't worry about it. Focus on me I will get you through it. And then there's an eternal inheritance waiting for you in heaven. God presses us away from us or away from ourselves to himself. Satan tempts us to choose ourself rather than God. And oh, how often it is easy to choose ourselves and to choose what we rely on and to have control and for me to have control over something that I don't have control over. 
So trusting God in everything that we do. In suffering, something is being proven through your pain, and your pain is persuaded, persuading you to treasure what really matters. It's persuading you to treasure what really matters. What matters to you? Is it the pain? Is it the feeling or the, the mourning or the grieving as in these verses that it talks about? Or is it God who suffered and went through that pain for me so that I don't have to feel the suffering and the pain and the trials that I am right now. But in the future, I get to have eternal bliss in eternity with the God who came to be a servant to me. And how much greater is God, the God of the universe being a servant to me? And how much more do I now need to be a servant to others to show that Christ was a servant to me and that he died for me? So now how much more should I be a servant to others to show who Christ is in me? We are proving that what our faith is in is trustworthy, is unmovable, invincible, and nothing can do apart from his say-so. He ordains it all. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses, well, we read this already, but it says, for this, in this light affliction, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And these last three words are amazing, beyond all comparison. We can't even explain it. We will never comprehend it until we receive it one day. And the man that wrote these sermons is now experiencing those things today. And he's experiencing this inheritance and this eternal weight of the majesty and the glory and the awe-empowering of God. Number four, trials prove faith. Trials prove faith. When we desire to suffer rightly, we often say, I need to be stronger, steadier, more faithful, or our focus in trials is on what we can do. That's the wrong outlook. We should be looking on not what can I do, not can, how can I get better, but how has God given me the strength to live for him? Before we get more into this point, I think we need to define two words that often get mixed up. And in the Bible, we look at these words almost as, um, almost as the same. And so we look at two words, belief and faith. And most of us would say, yeah, those are the same. But in God's word, if we look at the words belief and faith, we see two different things. The belief is a verb. It's describing an action, something that we can do, something that's done and that we can do. It's focused on us. Belief is focused on me, how much I can do or how much someone else can do. Faith, and I want you to get this, faith is a noun. Faith is something or someone. It's describing an object or something that's trusted, something that we trust in. So when we, tell, when we say we have faith, it's not about how much belief I can have, how much I can do, or how much something else can do. It's who is our faith in the object of our faith. And if our object is in the one 
who is majesty, who is over all, who is omniscient, omnipresent, who is all-powerful, then we have no fears. We have nothing to worry about. Jude, chapter one, verse three. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith with which you once, with was, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith, I get this, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is in God. And when we have faith in God, it's not about me. It's not about how much faith I can have because it's about how much my faith is. And if it's in God, my faith is great. And if it's in, every, if it's in something else, my faith is small. Faith is on trial, not proving you as being strong, but rather it is proving the strength of the one you are trusting in. Our faith is in the God who is eternal, who is perfect, who is good and gracious and unchanging and loving and just and all-powerful and all-knowing and omnipresent and self-existent and self-sufficient. He needs nothing, he needs nothing from anyone and everyone needs everything from him. We are completely dependent on him, and he is dependent on no one. Romans 11, verses 34 through 36, for, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and to him and through him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. We can offer nothing to God that he does not already have, but he can offer everything to us if he chooses to give it. Number five. Well, let's hold on one second. In each case, we look at some of the reasons in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament of this, of our, of this, um, of trials. Matthew 6.30, the people are worried about how they're going to feed and clothe themselves. And God says, why are you worried? Are you not more important than the ravings, ravens and the birds of the sky? I will clothe you. Don't be anxious for anything. For who can add a single day to their life? No one. The answer is no one except for God. Matthew 16, 8, Jesus feeds the 4,000, and after his disciples go to the other side, they begin to complain. They've forgotten to bring the food. Jesus says, O ye of little faith, because they stopped trusting in the one who is the object of our faith, and they started to trust in themselves, and they started to trust in what, how they were going to be, uh, get the certain things. A trial is not to prove you, it's to prove what you trust in. A trial gives evidence to how great your God is. The trials that you go through give evidence to how great your God is. Number five, they prove, trials prove who our God is. Who is our God? Is our God, those attributes that we talked about, 
that I mentioned just briefly ago? Or is our God in earthly things? Is our God the food? Is our God ourselves? We know by, through, we know by our trials. Who do we look to when we're going through our difficult times? Who do we look to when we go through hardships? If we look to the God of the universe for everything, it's very clear on who we are trusting in. If we look to the earthly things, we struggle and we go through hardships and it's very difficult. We can't do it by the earthly things. Nobody on this earth can do it on their own. God has to be a part of it. We look to personal strength, we look to other people, we look to ceremonies, we look to alcohol, drugs, eating, immorality, professions, all things of the world. But do we turn to prayer? Do we turn to God's word? Do we turn to the spirit living within us or the church or God's family for help? Who are we looking to for our help in the trials? Number six. They prove God to us. They prove God to us. It is through these trials that God makes himself known to us. Not only does he make himself known to us, but he also makes himself known to others around us. And when we live for him, and just a personal testament, when my father passed, it was It was difficult. We went through grieving. We went through mourning. But one thing stayed the same. And we knew one thing was throughout. And that was God's worthiness and his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. And we knew that he was faithful in all that he does. And that his work of providence in the life of my father has brought many. It has been incredible to see the amazing weight and the amazing things that God has used my father for during that time. And all that I can do now is glorify God and see how great and amazing he is currently living today. They prove who our God is. They prove God to us. Psalm 23 verse 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't that interesting? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your act of discipline, your act of trials, your act of hardships, they comfort me. They bring me peace. They bring me rest. Job 42.5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now My eyes see you. When we go through trials, we see how great and mighty and awesome and providential God is. Number seven, they prove God through us. Suffering is a common denominator for everyone. Everyone, whether saved or unsaved, whether you're out in the world, you're in the church, male, female, uh, six years old, eight years old, 25, 80, we all go through trials and we all suffer. The difference is how do we suffer and who do we look to when we suffer? Matthew 5, 16, 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Philippians 2, 14 through 15, do all things without complaining or, or disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do trials show? How, do, how does God seen through us? It's not in the good, it is through the good times, but it's more so through the bad times. We look at King David, and we look at Daniel, we look at these well-known people, we look at Moses, and all of the trials and hardships that God put them through, even Paul in the New Testament, and the disciples, and the way that they persevered, and we look at them, and not during the good times, but it was during the bad times that they showed the glory of God more fully, and they were a light to the world. So... As we begin to conclude this morning, I want to give, just mention three things that should be products of the trials that we go through, products of the trials that we go through. So if you're continuing the line, this could be number eight. Not only do we prove who our God is, but in the product of our trials, God is proven to be trustworthy. God is proven to be trustworthy. When we suffer well as humans who are flawed with an almighty God living within us, we show that God is trustworthy and that no matter what we do, he can be counted on. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How, bless, how blessed and amazing is that promise to us that God will not trial us past what we can handle. And guess what? God can handle anything. And so anything God throws our way, anything God puts us through, doesn't matter how much we can handle because it matters how much he can handle. Number nine. So eight, God is proven trustworthy. Number nine, God is, when we go through trials, rightly. God is properly glorified, honored, and praised. And we look at this verse, verse eight and nine in our text. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible in this next part and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Remember that word faith. Who is our faith in? The God of the universe. So the outcome of our faith is the salvation of your souls. The outcome of Jesus Christ coming to die on the cross for us is the salvation of souls. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 29 through 31. No flesh should glory in that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification. 
and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Number 10, and the final thing this morning. Not only is God proven to be trustworthy, not only in our trials is God properly glorified, honored, and praised, but he is profoundly proclaimed. If we go through trials and we look to Christ in all that we do, he will be proclaimed without one word that we say because it will be seen in our lives as being different and it will be seen in our lives as saying, Jared Prettyman cannot do that. There must be something different. There must be something inside of him pulling him through it. And that someone is the object of my faith, and that is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the reason the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We go through trials to be more like Christ. In closing, remember that responding to trials is important to proving the power of God. If we minimize trials by making them about us, we miss the point. But when we make them about God, the one we trust and draw strength from, the fruits are great. David and Goliath is not about David and Goliath. It's about the God who gave David the strength. Daniel in the lion's den is not about Daniel and Daniel's strength. It's about the strength of the God of the universe, of Daniel's God. The three Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace is not about the three children thrown into the furnace. It's about the God who saved them from the furnace. Our God is great, and we should trust in him because he is trustworthy and worthy in all things. As we suffer in our church, as we suffer in our personal lives, let's learn, grow, and win, not by our strength or might or for our glory and honor, but by God's strength and might and for his glory and for his honor. And as you may have gathered, as we read through this text and we see how great our God is and how amazing and providential he is in our lives, planning out everything possible, you may have gathered already, but the man who wrote this sermon was none other than my father, John Prettyman, who is no longer suffering, who is no longer going through trials because he is experiencing the eternal inheritance that is now made reality to him. And on his final hours, in the last day of his life, he sat down and wrote this, this sermon. And how amazing and how great is our God who has providentially provided this for us 
as he wrote these last words in, his, in this passage, he's not surprised by anything. He knows all things. And we have a great God who gives us an eternal inheritance to those who repent and believe. And he knew he had planned out every minute and every second of my father's life as he has with all of us. And he knew that these words this morning would not be just beneficial to us, would not be beneficial to me, but are in God's word and they are beneficial to all because they're in his word. So as my dad, as my dad wrote the final words of his sermon, he wrote this as the last quote by John Piper. And he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him in the midst of loss. Amen. God is good. Let's pray. King Jesus, Lord of heaven and of earth and of all things, we thank you so much for the trials that you give us that we might rejoice in them not by our own strength, not in our own abilities, but in you and in you alone. You are good, you are mighty, you are everlasting. You promise us an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, that the suffering and the grief and the mourning and all of the things that we go through now, they will come to an end. And we just hope in that and we hope in you, our living God. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to dwell on these words, to not take them and to throw them out, but to be hearers of your word and doers, and to go and to live this, this, these trials out, to show your glory, to prove who you are, to prove our faith. Lord, give us this strength this morning, and help us to go from here living as, as lights in this world. I pray that you would bless us and guide us. I pray that we would glorify and honor you in all things. In your precious name that we pray, amen.